it's going to come out awkward. The audio this week is going to be broken up now. Okay. But here, it doesn't say that. It says, Amar Rabbi Shimon. By saying Amar Rabbi Shimon, it shows that he's adding to what the Tanakhama says. He's not arguing with the Tanakhama. So we see, therefore, that not like Ramban's opinion, saying that it doesn't always mean miyad, and all doesn't always mean midaytis. We see that Rashi holds the words of Shimon on the concept of chesar and kis are not going to the Karim Talmud. Excuse me. But rather, if Shimon holds also that the word Tzav, here and anywhere else that it says it, refers to the union of zeros of speedily, immediately, and for future generations. But not necessarily for Chesar and Kis. Not necessarily only because you're going to lose money on the deal. So if Shimon comes and he adds that the Pesach says we need to generally do this quickly, not only in a case where it's Miyad with the Deides, also in a place where it's Ksar and Kis, and just the opposite. There, when it's Ksar and Kis, the person has to move even faster. When it comes to the concept of miyad uledeides, it's something that you need to do immediately and in future generations, like the Karim Talmud. Pasik says even quicker, Lashon Tzav, by and Kiz, is a different concept of agility. If you keep me score at home, the Yemar Chagiga Vav Aleph, tells us Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Lozer, Rabbi Akiva, have an argument, have a dispute. If you brought the carbon tomate in the, de- in the desert or not. Or if the carbon tomate only started to be brought, the sacrifice only started in Eretz Yisrael. So now if you want to say that the Rishab Shimon argues with the Tanakama, if Tzav means Miyad the Deides, then you could say also the same thing comes between the Tanakama and Rishab Shimon have the same argument. Tanakama would say Tzav is Miyad, and they therefore brought the Karman Talmud immediately in the desert as well. And Reb Shimon argues, and says, no, they did not bring it in the desert. Therefore he brings Rashi, Divrei Reb Shimon, Rashi brings down the word of Reb Shimon also, to tell us what does Tzav mean, and the Lashon that Omer Reb Shimon, not Reb Shimon Eimer, to teach Reb Shimon does not argue with the Tanakhama, and he also holds the Talmud was brought in the desert, because he holds Tzav means Miyad Uledeides. Question becomes, it's not the first time we're hearing a lotion of Tzav. We've heard it before, several times. Kasha Tziva So why did Rashi not explain this previously? Why does Rashi wait until our parasha Tzav to explain that it means Miyad Amidatis and Lazidus? The truth is, in simple form, the parashas before tell us in a story, story format, as Hashem commanded Moshe. And not giving you a direct commandment. Rashi explains later in Pashat Emer. V'atatitzavah is not said on the Seda of Malachas HaMishkan. The way the Menedahs needed, etc., And the same thing where it says later about the same chalat zaves is b'nei Yisrael al kach. You need to command again the Jews about this. It's also in the format of a story. In our parsha, 
it comes in a tzivui. A lesson. Not in a story type fashion. And therefore, when Ayo Pasha comes to teach us a lesson, the first time to tell us that Lashon Tzivui means to be quickly, to be agile, and for now and for generations. Further on in the Parsha, we go through different sacrifices. Eish Tamid Tukad Alamizbeach Lesichbeh. A perpetual fire, perpetual flame, was to be kindled on the altar and never extinguished. At all times, the fire needed to burn on the altar could never ever be extinguished. We know the different parts comes up on my phone. The different parts of the tabernacle represent the different parts of the human body. For it says Vyasuli Migdash Make for me a tabernacle, a holy place, a sanctuary, and I will dwell amongst you, amongst them. If it's only one Mikdash, we said, how is it possible? The plural, amongst them. And we said the answer is, amongst them is referenced, it means each and every Jew is their own sanctuary a single separate sanctuary to God. And therefore, each vessel represents a different part of the tabernacle. Starting with the altar, which represents the heart of the person. And in the heart burns a flame in each and every person. The emotional flame. The flame that one carries and the Tata tells us should never be extinguished. Spiritually speaking, this same commandment is referenced to each and every person. That every person needs to worry about just that. That the flame, which represents the unconditional love to God, that flame that burned when it comes to Tera Mitzvahs, Tukad Le'elam, is perpetually, perpetually needs to burn within the heart of each and every person, and never, God forbid, be extinguished. The Yimad and Talmud Yerushalmi, he keeping score at home, it's Yuma, Perek Dalet Halachavov, tells us, Tamid, what is perpetual, even on Shabbos. But it goes another step, even in purity, even if a person is impure, they need to make sure they have an obligation to make sure the flame stays. And this teaches us also a strong and powerful lesson in our love, the flame of love to God. The essence of Shabbos is a detachment from weekday behavior. On this day a person involves themselves only spiritual things, godly things. 
And therefore, he is totally detached and separated from any worldly things. The person can then think. He doesn't need to again throw himself into with full force the love and the devotion to God and the service of God. I'm only involved in spirituality. I'm not doing anything physical. I have no physical connections, no physical behavior. Therefore the Tater comes and says, no, Tamid, perpetual even on Shabbos. This flame needs to burn for the love and the service of God. This is a must. Every level, every situation, and the highest that can be. On the flip side, we could have the opposite. People because of their spiritual situation, unfortunately have deteriorated to a level that, God forbid, they're impure, they're tamayim. And they could think, who am I? How do I come to kindle the flame to connect with God at such a level. This again the Torah tells us, Tamid, perpetually even in Tumah. Even when not pure, even in impurities. Also in the spiritual level, has God forbid dropped to such an extent you still need to constantly see to it the flame is burning. The opposite. This is the warmth of a Jew. This love is the basis of of connection to God. And therefore the person needs to involve themselves with this very flame. Keep it kindled so that whoops. So that their connection stays real. There are many Malachas in the Mishkan that supersede the halachas of Shabbos. As a matter of fact, the 49 laws of, of Shabbos are taken from things that are done by the Mishkan. And it's things that were done there that you're not allowed to do today on Shabbos. So this holy... I'm not a leader. Want to kill me, yeah? Ah, good. This holy flame, when it leaves, and it's burning this Eish Hazara, this strange fire it's consuming the strange fire of the Taivas Ha'ilam all the different desires of the world the Mazitia Magid very eloquently says, explains this Pasuk and he says Eish Tomid a perpetual flame should burn on the Mizbeach. If somebody does that, there's a guarantee that loy, all the negativity, sikh will be wiped away. All the barriers, all the constraints, all that holds us back will be diminished. Because the flame of love, the flame of God, that one keeps perpetually lit within their heart, overcomes 
breaks through and destroys anything else. So the loy, that no, all that negativity gets totally abolished. Abolished. And the Heidekim Azishimagit adds another explanation on the concept of Eish Tamid. At all times and all situations. Rather, this flame. This perpetual flame and this perpetual connection in Teda and Mitzvahs are capable of totally eradicating any kind of other machshavas, any kind of other thoughts, any kind of negativity in the, in the person's thoughts, in the person's action, in the person's talk. A spontaneous flame, a spontaneous spark, doesn't protect the person. It will not take the person away from the ideas and the thoughts of the Sahara. And therefore, by not allowing the Eish HaTamid to be extinguished, not even for a moment, not even for a short time, the person engraves within their soul all the feelings, all the yearnings, that one needs to continue to keep. It's obligated, it's an obligation of each and every one of us to see to it that our age Tamid is constantly burning in our Mishkan Pnimi. And if our Teira and Mitzvahs that we do is done with a proper Chayas with proper fervor and flame from within, maybe these things are done as something that becomes in, inborn. Maybe it becomes just a natural. But rather, we're telling you no. One needs to strive constantly. One needs to constantly, perpetually involve themselves and never feel complacent and say, I've done enough. But rather, I constantly want to find another Hidra Mitzvah. I constantly want to find another plus of how I can do the Mitzvah better, how I can improve my soul. much to do and so little time to do it. The flame that constantly needs to be kindled. The Baal Shem HaKadosh had very many requests from his Talmidim. And very often time the Talmidim didn't feel God forbid they were lacking from experiences that they had with the Baal Shem HaKadosh. But they wanted another, a boost. They wanted to get another injection, another angle. And so one such chassid asked the Vashem if he wants to see a Seder Aveda. And the Vashem sent him to a certain shoemaker in a certain town. And he traveled to the town and he came to that shoemaker. And the shoemaker was quite a hefty fellow. 
And not only was he a hefty fellow, he was borderline coarse. He ate all day long, so much so that he washed in the morning and benched at night. He would be constantly munching away at some bread dipped in oil. He was, it was, it was incredible. He took time out to daven, literally time out. Minimum time possible for davening is what he used. And the chassid was agonizing. Just trying to figure out. What is this? What Aveda could this man possibly be serving? What could he possibly be doing here of such spiritual ranks that the Bashemtav told him to go search? And he was a guest in the man's house. The man he came and told him that the Bashemtav sent him, and he said, Oh, a student of the Bashemtav, of course you stay in my house. Whatever is mine is yours. As the week progressed, the Chassid tried to stay up at night to maybe catch a sneak peek of what this man does. The man must be a Tzadik Nister, must be a Lam Nivovnik or something, because the way he was behaving, he must have something, maybe he does at night, maybe he does this, maybe he does... There's got to be something here he does. Much to his chagrin, he was mistaken. He found nothing. What to do? He felt like he was sent on a wild goose chase. He says, I'm going to go. Maybe I heard wrong. Maybe it's a water carrier, not about, not about, not a, uh, a shoemaker. It's not possible. Well, made a mistake. Before he left, though, so I'll be leaving now. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for coming. Whenever you want to come again, please. Ta'ul of Hashem is an honor of mine to have. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Why do you eat so much? The fellow looks at him. Open eyes. Why do I eat so much? <laughs> That's what you're asking me. Let me tell you. One day, I was walking the streets of the city. We don't have a very big city here. We don't have a very big Jewish community. As a matter of fact, it's a very Catholic community. I'm a shoemaker by trade, so I make it here. But I'm walking the street, and these hooligans jump me. And they started to schlep me to the church. I don't know what they wanted me to do there. I don't know what they wanted of me, what they wanted me in the church, but they were pulling me to the church. Now, you see, <laughs> I'm a hefty fella. And very strong. Because I eat proper, I eat well. So I fought them off. I fought them off one by one. I beat them all down. I taught them a lesson. Now what happens? If Chas Vesholem, it happens again. I need to stay strong. Those days obviously I didn't go work out in the gym. I need to be strong to fight off these people who want me to go to a church, who want me to do something, God forbid, wrong. Wow. 
the chassid grabbed his head, head, his payas fell out of his mouth. And he said, you eat to be strong in case you need to fight the goyim off from taking you to the church. Tomid, you are perpetually involving yourself in Avedis Hashem. Wow, what a lesson the Baal taught me. What a lesson, and truly the Baal had the right address. He was impressed by the Baal That's nice. Another similar Pachaja story to this. Apparently... Mendel Futafas, who I've said many times, had the last bracha under my chuppah when I got married. Mendel Futafas was in prison. Labor camp. And had to deal with a lot of different characters. One fellow told he has a talent. He's a tightrope walker. For those of you that are not familiar with these carnival acts, circus acts, they got a long string at any height. It's not very popular this week, I think, actually, because I think someone who fell off and died. But Generally, it's quite courageous. And you walk across a rope. Many of us are happy to walk across a straight floor. A rope, a thin rope to walk across. And he used to brag. And men used to ask him, Shake the edits. Well, it's failed to do this. Why is it letting him be missing here, walking on the string? Walk on the floor, like the rest of the human beings. Which I don't fly him to the, what, what are you getting at? What is, what is he accomplishing? Ba'yim. Stalin pagan. And everything became very lax in the camps. Things became much more calmer. The liberties were given much more. And the first thing our tightrope walker did, find a solid rope, a sturdy rope. And he set it up. He tied it up about 15 feet off the ground. And... stretched it to another 20-30 feet away tied it again went back and forth tightening it pulling it schlepping it balancing it like a guitar string, I don't know what he was doing to it I I don't walk tightrope, you might notice I work on a tightrope my whole life, I work on raw eggs but not as a profession. And he walked, and he's, everybody's waiting, 15 feet off the ground. It's substantial. Like almost a story. And he gets, climbs up the ladder, and he gets on the rope. Obviously he's a little out of practice. He starts to balance himself. He's balancing, he's balancing. Takes one step, two steps, and oh, ah! He slips off, but he lands like a cat on his feet. No. Gets back up. People are waiting with a bated breath. And he starts to go. And the second time, he ventures, gets a few more feet, slips off again, 
perseveres and gets on a third time, and now he starts to walk. And he walks with such beautiful precision. And he walks across the entire rope, and he gets to the other side of the rope. The place was applauding. They were going crazy. But then, then, he turns around. On the rope. And he starts to walk back. Wow. He came down and everybody was shaking his hand. Everybody was mesmerized. They were amazed. They were fascinated. What's a beautiful display. And he comes over to the Mendel. He says, No. What do you say now? Impressed? The Mendel says, Honestly? No. But, I'm intrigued. Really? Yes. Just tell me, please, the truth. How'd you do it? How did you walk across that whole way on that rope? The man smiled and he said to the Mendel, I'll tell you the real truth. Walking was hard. What was even harder was turning around. He says, why? Because when I walk, I focus on my goal. My goal is to reach the other side. That's what I'm looking to do. Once I get to my other side, I've reached my goal. I've achieved. For me to turn around now, there's no goal in the turning around. Only once I'm turned around, I can focus another goal, reaching the other side of the rope. But the turning around itself has no goal to it. Oi, said Remendel, oi. And for this he forbrained hours. Rabbi say we need to focus on the goal. We need to keep our eye on the goal. And know where we are headed. And persevere. And forge ahead. Don't allow obstacles. Don't allow anything to get in our way. Don't allow boundaries and barriers to stand in between. Focus on our goal. And head that way. And strive to reach your goal. The goal, he says, is to bring Mashiach. We may not back down. We may not back away. We must persevere. We must see to it that everything we do is so that we help bring Mashiach closer. And we're now in a point in time, Rabbi saying. Where being complacent and satisfied with just bringing him closer is no longer enough. We need to bring Mashiach. We need to find inner strength, inner peace. We need to be able to say in the morning, And that no Jew is different than any other. Every Jew, no matter who he did, even if God forbid he did a sin, he's a Jew. And as a Jew, you must love him. And as a Jew, you must see to it that you are Malamit Schus, that you find merit. And you look at him and you say, okay, I know he did a sin, but I believe he did tshuva. And I believe he did Shuvah to such an extent that today I need to honor, to respect, and to love him as I love myself. This is the goal that we need to focus on. 
we can no longer be complacent and say, I'll bring Mashiach closer with a mitzvah, I'll plant another seed, I'll put down another brick for the Abbas Amigdash We need to say, we want Mashiach now, on a constant basis. How are you? I'm waiting for Mashiach. This is my uncle, Rashalom, used to always say. How are you, Uncle Chil? I'm waiting for Mashiach. And this is what we need to aspire. My grandfather, Rashalom, the Shalomei Akoyin, the outside comes up right after Pesach, was a Koyin. I said, I'm not looking to become the Koyin Godel. I don't need a high-ranking position. Let me be zeichet, let me merit to sweep the floors in the Holy Temple. Let me merit to do the most menial job in the Holy Temple, but let me already see the Temple. Let me already work in the Holy Temple. Let us readjust from the Tukad al-Mizbeach, from the Tomid. Let us go a little bit to the Shabbos, Shabbos HaGadol. The Shulchan Aruch and Simen Tov Ayin tells us, it's a Simen that talks about Bechayrois Mis'anin Be'erev Pesach. Firstborns need to fast on Erev Pesach. This is an entire day fast. Every male, whether he's a firstborn from his father or firstborn from his mother, needs to fast. It doesn't matter what his status is when it comes to Yerusha, and it does not matter if he had a pigeon a bed or not. And there are many different reasons why one would not have a pigeon a bed, but we're not learning here as pigeon a bed today. When you have a firstborn son, you can call, and we'll go through it, and see if he needs a pigeon a bed or not. Right now we're discussing the firstborn. As long as he is a firstborn child, he needs to fast on Erev Pesach. Why? Says the Al-Terebbe Sheikh Narach, Negin Labachiris, the Sanis, the Hashim, Pchal Erev Pesach, Zecher, commemoration, Lenes, Shenetzulub, Makas, Habachiris, they were saved from the plague of Makas, Habachiris, where all the firstborn in Egypt were killed, and they were saved. And this simon goes on to tell us the different scenarios, how the child was born. Could have been born as long as he's a firstborn child. What happens if a father has, if a, if a child is before by mitzvah, the father fasts for him. What happens if the father himself is a bechir? What happens if a father has a child, the firstborn child, if a kenimidach loses his wife or gets divorced, and has another wife, and again has a firstborn child. He has two Bechirim now. And neither of them confess themselves because they're infants. And he himself is a Bechir. So his fasting is not for them. It's fasting for himself. So it's questionable whether he confessed. It counts for them or is not. If it counts for both of them or not. Maybe the mother has to fast also. There are many different disputes. And these are things that need to be discussed with the local rabbi. Today's day and age, what they do is they make a siyam in the morning. A siyam a mesechta. Somebody finishes off a mesechta, which in turn makes it a sudas mitzvah. And the customary is to partake of the sudas mitzvah. And by partaking of the sudas mitzvah, they don't have to fast the rest of the day. Ready? Because they're not fasting. Um, I'm not clear what the Rebbe did. The Rebbe was a Bechir, but I cannot tell you, I believe they say the Rebbe fasted, it's possible that I've heard a him in the morning, and may have, may have partook of something in the morning, and fasted the rest of the day, or something that I said, I don't recall, and because I'm not 100% sure, I will not tell you what the Rebbe did. So one of the reasons this Shabbos is called Shabbos HaGadol 
that we should not say by Nezgadl. A tremendous miracle took place on the Shabbos. The Shabbos before Pesach. This miracle in Egypt took place Shabbos before Pesach. And therefore this day <laughs> there's a fellow I once met, an older man. When's your Hebrew birthday? Shabbos Hanukkah. What does that mean? Shabbos Hanukkah, I know all my life, I know Shabbos Hanukkah was my birthday. <laughs> Shabbos Hanukkah could be any day of the week of Hanukkah. But, this is how he knows, this is what he remembers, Shabbos Hanukkah is his birthday. And then the Shabbos before Pesach is the Shabbos before Pesach, always. No matter what day of the week, you know what day of the month it is. That year, in 2,488, 48, sorry, in the year 2,448, Shabbos HaGadol was 10th of Nisan. The Jews were told to take Selaboyas. Each one bring home a little Shepsela and tie it to your bed. When the first-born Egyptian boys came around and said, they didn't say Shtoyatu because they didn't speak Russian, they spoke Egyptian. And they asked them, what is this? What do you need to say? And the say was not just a little pet. The say was the god of Egypt. They worshipped the say. What do you need it for? And the Jew would answer, we're going to bring it for Karim Pesach, for Hashem. So that he can kill all the first-born Egyptians. Hmm. That's not good news. Needless to say, the first-born Egyptians were not very inspired. And therefore, a civil war ensued. They came to their father, they came to Pare, they came screaming and yelling to plead on their behalf. But nobody helped, nobody answered. And we see the civil war ensued, and Make Mitzrayim Bivchoyidehem, we say, there was a tremendous plague of Egypt from their firstborn. The firstborn went to war against everybody. In commemoration of this miracle, we call this Shabbos Hagadol. We spoke about now the fast that the firstborn have on Erev Pesach commemorating this. The first question that just shouts at us What's so great about this miracle? Why this miracle? piques our curiosity, it piques our interest. What did this miracle do to the Jews in Egypt? And they had to wait still for Marcus Becheris. So they couldn't go out yet until all the Becherim were killed which is four days later. What's so great about Shabbos HaGadol in that case? But the truth is, the miracle here is a tremendous wonder. One that there's no such thing in the world. And that's why we celebrate it every year. All of the miracles that happened to the Jews... Kriyasyamsev, Purim, Hanukkah, etc. The enemy wanted to kill us, we were saved, let's eat. The water drowned us in the Yamsov, it split. In the day of Purim, we ruled over the Goyim.
They wanted to harm the Jews, and the Jews were saved. In this case, the miracle of Shabbos HaGadol, we see a total different approach, total different issue. A whole different miracle took place. The enemy themselves, Bechere Mitzrayim, went and went to battle with their own people. For whom? For the Jews. The Egyptian firstborns, Egyptian Goyim, battled the Egyptian parents and Egypt's army, etc. Get the Jews out of here. And they were ready to die to save the Jews because they're going to die anyway. But they still didn't take the Jews out of Mitzrayim. They just made the Jews look that much better. So when we look into, we think into this, of that moment, what happened, what are we seeing? That the Egyptians stood in full force against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. After nine plagues that they suffered, they weren't broken. They still hated and kept the Jews in prison. Even when they, their Bechayim, their firstborn, came to war with them and battled them and said, Free the Jews. This all comes to show us how lowly were the Egyptians. And therefore, the, ba- the battle that they fought, the battle that they fought against the Egyptians. That the Egyptians themselves stood up for them. Therefore, this miracle is unparalleled. Chesidus explains there are two ways to eradicate evil. One is you break it. And this way you refrain from having any kind of evil, any kind of action, any kind of interaction. There's a higher level than that. Is Totally turning over the darkness to light. Making evil good. Taking the darkness and making it into an into a light source. This is a second level, but this is a total, so much higher, so much more spiritual level. To literally elevate the bad. This is what happens on Shabbos HaGadol. And therefore getting its name, Shabbos HaGadol, the Great Shabbos. It gave us strength not only to overcome the evil, not only to curtail the thoughts of the Yitzhahara, but to see to it the Yitzhahara himself serves God. The Yitzhahara himself does tshuva. And if you're following, if you keep a score at home, the Gemara Masech, the Zuma Pevava Medbez tells us, That Zdaina is not so like Kizachis. The Avedis not only become wiped out, but the Avedis become like mitzvahs. They become a merit for you. And this is the message of Shabbos Hagodl. The Shabbos, which is also referred to as Shabbos Hagodl, because 
the godel of the town, the elder of the Rav, stands up and dashes. And teaches a lesson, teaches lessons, but doesn't just teach what we think would be the halachas of Pesach. To show them the ways of God. It's not only sufficient to teach them halachas, but to teach them how to connect to God. How to become one with God. How to say, take each and everything that we do, our entire essence, and dedicate it and devote it to giving, to doing Torah, learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. This is what the Rav, the Godel, has to stand up and tell us. To teach us Ava V'yira, love and fear of God, and how to combine the two, and how to use it, how to utilize it to the utmost, so that we elevate all the evil, we elevate all the mishaps, all the wrongdoings, and we elevate them, we make them as merits, and ultimately, for the ultimate merit, and just like just like the redemption from the Mitzrayim of Egypt of yesteryear, so too, our personal Mitzrayim, our personal boundaries and restrictions and personal barriers we should be able to overcome and we should be able to see to it that we spend this Shabbos, Shabbos HaGadol we hear from the Godel himself from Mashiach Tzedkenu in Yerushalayim, Yerach Kodesh Shabbat Shalom to all.